Welcome to People's Church Podcast. We are going to talk about happiness today and um, rebooting happiness in your life. And it's going to be the upside down way of looking at it for you, but it is going to be the biblical and the Jesus way of rebooting happiness in our life. Happiness is a big deal in us. Um, a lot of people, basically, it's just the pursuit of it. In fact, isn't it in the U.S. sort of like kind of their philosophy of life? Uh, you know, happiness, it's big. And for you and I, it is. Now, there's, there's things that destroy it real quick, and it really comes down to one thing. And we'll be looking at that. And there's one thing to build it. Many people would probably say, if you were to ask, what is the path to happiness? Many people would probably be saying things like, you get an education. It's through education that I am going to preserve happiness in my life. Uh, You get a job. You get a job. You get married. You get the husband. You get the wife. You have the kids. You make enough money. You retire. Um, That's the path to happiness, as our culture puts it forward. There's a lot of people who have all those things, though, and they're not happy, and they don't know how to reboot it. They're missing one basic commodity in life. There's nothing wrong with any of the things that we list. What's wrong is that if they become the source of happiness, it just doesn't work. It's a formula that doesn't work. So what is the formula? Well, we're going to be addressing that. Uh, It's such a key thing. Look at Proverbs 13, 10, your first scripture. Pride only leads to arguments. But those who take advice are wise. The big thing that destroys happiness in life is pride. Now you know why we just sang, Lord, it's hard to be humble. It is a destroyer of happiness. And let me frame it out for you and then build in some some thoughts for you on this. The Bible says that the path to happiness is something you are never, ever going to ever imagine. It's just a crazy path. It's an upside down path. And it's through humbleness. Humbleness is the product or the ground in which happiness will grow out of in your life. Let me bring it apart for you. There are many reasons why it unlocks the true happiness. happiness Is that first off, pride is a thing that guarantees unhappiness, and humbleness is obviously an an opposite of pride. It is it is it is a lack of humbleness. It is. A growth in pride, no matter what that's around. Pride can be built on literally anything. It can be your genealogy. It can be built on some of your achievements or your skills. It can be built on uh, how you look in the mirror. It can be built on a lot of different things. Humbleness is a whole different way of approaching yourself and everybody else in your life. You know what breaks happiness more than anything in your life right now, is conflict. Have you ever had that? You've had a pretty good day. He comes home. You come home. And all of a sudden, a conflict and everything that was feeling good is all of a sudden, boom. Something gets stolen in those moments. That's when a certain type of pride is taking control of the moment and your response to what happens to conflict in your life is unhappy. Nothing makes people more unhappy in life than conflict in their relationships. 
We'll, in fact, that's why our number one thing in life is to avoid confrontation. We don't want confrontation. We don't want conflict. That's why we'll hide in conversations or opinions or anything. That's why we pull back even from full expression of what we might believe. There's, there's this, this non-desire for conflict. Conflict comes out of pride. That's we go back. Pride only leads to arguments. Another version says pride only leads to conflict. Conflict. You and I avoid it at all costs. But if you're ever going to be happy on any long-term basis, you have to deal with that kind of conflict and reducing conflict in your relational world, in every part of your relational world. Some of it is old conflict. It goes back when you were a kid, or it goes back decades, or it goes back last year, or it even just goes back to yesterday. It doesn't matter the timing of the conflict. It is going to rob you as long as it stays in the conflict zone. And what keeps it there? Pride. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not, I'm not going to take a step towards it. I'll just stay on the other side of the street of life. The fact is, is conflict is, can't be eliminated from your life, but it can be mitigated in your life. You're going to have some conflict just because people want to have conflict with you. But your responses, the Bible says cool little things like, you know, just when you respond with a gentleness in your word, it really takes a lot of the angst out of the other person and out of, out of the relationship uh, world for you. The verse that we've just read is one that if we took to heart in our relational world and understood that conflict's coming from a certain pride in our life, then we would be able to get control, not only of conflict, but we could build things that really do matter in life. Look at Philippians 2, verse 2. Paul is writing, and this is an extremely famous chapter in the Bible. It deals with, actually, the kind of life that brings happiness. In fact, all of the book of Philippians is about this. He says, make my joy or my happiness complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In there, he puts down right now four kinds of intimacy, four kinds of unity, four kinds of harmony. And it's harmony that you want to have in your relational world. That's what we all look for. That is where happiness comes out of. Happiness comes out of the harmony of your life. So first he says, he says, he says this kind of harmony. He says, have the same mind. That's mental harmony. That's just mental harmony. Where it's not that you're going to agree on everything, but there's a mental harmony that we are not always at war with, other, with the other person's idea. We know how to communicate with one another. We're in a mental harmony of what the objective of our communication is all about. And that's about building our relationship and keeping it strong and making it stronger. It's not about defending my position. It's not about making me bigger than you or smarter than you. It's about us together finding better things together. 
mental harmony. So often relationships are breaking down to the kind of communication where it is very competitive. Competitive in that, in that we want to bat around the idea, and, and, but only in a way that you got to have my idea. And that immediately leads you to conflict because the other person feels devalued in that. And we do it all the time. And in fact, it seems like this becomes a greater threat the longer the relationship is, whether it's a friendship, whether it is a marriage, no matter what the nature of the relationship, it tends to get actually more intense simply because of the time allotment of things. And then we become very competitive about our own ideas. I told you, I said that a long time ago. I t- I'm now, see, I'm right on that. And you're wrong. Boy, if we could just go back and have the arguments of my life inventory, you would find a lot of them coming out of that. The competition over mental, over your mind, over the processes of thought, over your thoughts, over you, you defending them to the death rather than partnering to better ends and better objectives in life. Mental harmony. Next one, he says, is share the same love. This is emotional harmony. You need all four of these harmonies, folks, for you to experience happiness. If you're always in the debate zone, but from a wrong place, competition, you're destroying happiness because you're destroying harmony. If you are also, uh, you know, are not sharing the same love, if you have only that shallow expression and you don't want to make your full, bo- your full body and mind express the love for another person, you have these, these ceilings that you won't go deep in your expression in those ways. You're not sharing the same love. You've hardened off against it. Or maybe there's fears from when you were young. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's just saying the outcome is predictable. The outcome is that by not sharing the same love, you're destroying emotional harmony. Because emotional harmony is not us, uh, you know, battling each other or protecting the other person or our own emotions. We are interested in bonding emotionally with the other person, with the friend, with the marital partner. When it comes to harmony, there is no happiness without it. And many times relationships are breaking down because we have these barriers to deep sharing of emotion. We don't want to expose ourselves or sound that vulnerable or be that vulnerable. You're taking happiness away from yourself and others. There's a third kind of harmony that's, uh, that's ignited here. It says being united in spirit. What is that? That is spiritual harmony. That is where in our spirit, in the deepest part of us, in that part that undergirds the rest of our makeup, that part we are together in. We share that world. We have a spiritual unity. I am not here to attack your faith or hold you back in faith. I want to be here as a partner in your faith, in your spiritual health, in your spiritual wealth of going forward. I want you to get deeper. I'm not here to compete with you on how smart you are or not how smart you are or or how deep of a disciple you may be. I am here to encourage. I'm here to bless. I'm here to support. I am here to be with you in spiritual harmony that we are both serving the Lord. 
We are both interested in his kingdom, in his furtherance, in his goodness going forward into the world. That is spiritual harmony. And then there's one more harmony that's required if you're going to have happiness and mitigate conflict is intent on one purpose. That phrase out of that verse, intent on one purpose. Now let me read the whole scripture again there. Make my joy or happiness complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What is that? That's directional harmony. Directional harmony. We we don't have a big struggle between us in the direction we're going in life. Because of the simple fact that we share the same intense purpose. We are intent upon the purpose of the Lord's leadership and his design in our life. We're intent upon his dream, his ideas, his kingdom, his leadership. The Lord is my shepherd. Not might be, sometimes can be. He is. And we share it. Boy, this is great even in just our relationships to one another as, as Christians. It's, it's this incredible directional harmony that can come. And you know, when you get alignment in, in the directional harmony, the power of that in a family, the power of that in just one life, the power of that in a church, to have directional harmony is absolutely stunningly big. And it brings happiness. All of these forms of harmony, when they are in our life, produce happiness. Because conflict, which is originating within pride, is not ruling the show and driving the individuals apart. But we're in a celebration mode. It's, it's, It's just a festive mode. Yes, you're going to have difficult conversations. If you can't have difficult conversations and you have to back away from things, that's the problem, that you back away from them and you don't bring the higher things like respect and caring. These types of harmonies, four of them, mental, emotional, spiritual, directional, is going to produce happiness. Happiness. In places that you have worked, you will, if you've worked in several different places or, or in, even in, in, in professions, you certainly understand the value of being in a place where these four harmonies exist. And there's a different feel to it. There, it's not just, it's not just a job. It's become more. And that is where the happiness is always going to happen for you, is in these harmonies. Now, harmony, here's the thing that we don't quite get, and I want to make this tie so strong for you today. Harmony comes from humbleness. Harmony comes from humbleness. In Philippians 2, 3 to 5, it says, When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride Be your guide. Just catch that first line. It's very powerful. Do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, so he's saying, no, no, that's not the blank. That's not how you fill in that blank in life. You don't let pride be your guide here. In fact, he comes back to this. He said, instead, here's what you do. Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. 
Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. It's a very powerful portion. What he's talking about here is that humbleness is the right thing for that blank. You want happiness? You want harmony? Harmony is going to produce happiness. If you want harmony, you can't have harmony without humbleness. So it's like we're starting at the top of the filter and working our way down. You've got to have humbleness. Humbleness is what is needed to produce those harmonies. Mental harmony, emotional harmony, spiritual harmony, directional harmony. Humbleness will produce that. Because you can now come together in a way that you are sharing, you are having the same mind, sharing the same love, being united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If we could learn this, you know, the younger the better, that a humbleness is the factor that is so key to how you are going to enjoy your life. That would just be amazing because today in our culture, they give you exactly the opposite message. You know, find yourself. The more it's about you, the more it's about you, the more it's about you, the more it's about you equals happiness. The more people that you have serving you is happiness, not the more you serve others. You see how upside down Jesus is? This world is get as many servants serving you as possible. And that's why you want to make a lot of money because you can make it happen. Or that's why you want the power position. But yet in Jesus' world, he's saying, you want to be great in my kingdom? You become the servant of all. He says, if you really want to be happy, it's not how many servants serve you. It's how many you serve. That's just totally, totally upside down for this world. You're, gonna, you, you're in the marketplace. You're in it every, all day long. You understand how that works. Serving others is Christ's measurement of greatness in his own kingdom. And it's the way we express humbleness. By giving more honor to others than to ourselves. Don't be interested only in your own life. You've had those conversations. You have. That where it's, you just know, okay, here we go again. I'm, we're going to have a conversation, but it's all about them. You know, it, God gave us ears for a reason. That was to listen. That was so that we could give that amazing gift to others to really hear them. And to, and to enter into their story. And to understand that by doing that, we are communicating value. And we're creating a type of harmony that can end up in, in happiness. Because we're taking a humble position to say, I really want to hear your story. I want to hear what you're up against. I want to hear what the problems are. I want to hear about the success. Mourn with those who mourn and laugh with those who laugh. And I want to take this and illustrate this a little bit different and hopefully a little fresh way for you so that we really connect the dots on humbleness as the incredible source of a happy 
life. Let's talk about three faces of pride and the power of humbleness. Luke 8, 4 to 8, Jesus tells the story. Take a fresh listen, please, as I read the scripture. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on the fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, and listen to this part. Hear, hear this part because he's, de he's describing the condition needed. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He's saying it takes a humble heart to hear, to learn, to evaluate the story that I've just told you. Jesus is saying, only your heart that's humble can pick this up. Otherwise, you're going to be just like these four ground. Three of them will produce nothing. There's no fruit in them. You want the fruit of happiness? They're not found in the first three grounds. He's saying it takes humbleness. You want to hear? If anybody can hear this, he's saying, please hear. You should listen and understand. Then he gives the meaning to his disciples after they break away from teaching the large crowd. And he gives them the deeper meanings of this particular story. In Luke 8, 11 through 15, he says, this is the meaning of the parable the seed is God's word. Right away, I want you to know that the human heart always has a natural resistance to God's word because God's word has an authority of truth that won't bend. And so the human heart is always looking for negotiation to achieve what it wants to achieve, which is going to be some form of security or some form of comfort or some form of self-promotion. The human heart is always going to seek to achieve those ends. So it resists right away. The seed, the moment that he says this, the seed is God's word, they, we know that there is natural resistance within every human heart to God's word. In verse 12, he says, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Interesting. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. This is immediate joyful response to this great news, good news. God loves me. God has more mercy than I'll ever need. He'll forgive me for every sin. He's created a home for me in heaven. He wants me in his eternal family. How can I, get, you know, not be happy about that kind? So they receive it in that regards. There is a joy about it. But since they don't have deep roots, it's a surface root. 
They believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Maturity means fruit. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. I love that last phrase. It represents honest. They hear it. The lies of the human heart are dismissed. The truth is received in its full honesty. Whatever it says about them, they agree with God. Whatever God is saying about them, they agree with God. They're honest. Good-hearted people, humble, humble, who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Let's take a look at these different types. First, the hard face. Three faces of pride. First, the hard face of pride. You know what it's like. It's where it's not going to penetrate. Or whatever the person has said or whatever thing's coming to you, you can just put on that hard face, as we all can. And it's like this great big shield comes up and it's just any, any seed coming in is bouncing off that shield. It's not going anywhere. It says that the devil has an amazing part in the hard face. His part doesn't show up so much in the later ones. His part shows up in the first one. This hard face. This ability to actually have the seeds not have any penetration at all. The hard face represents a negligence of your soul, your very own soul. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his soul? There is such a thing as being gospel hardened. You may have been raised with a preaching mom or a dad or an illegalistic home and you got your own idea of God and you're using that to dismiss God. That's your own idea of God. Get the biblical one. And you use those old pictures to dismiss God. There's a hardness about you even though you've been exposed to the gospel maybe for the, your entire life. That's a gospel hardened heart. It's like it even selects that seed and it's just not let in. That person starts talking about that, close it off. There's different types of hardnesses. But those hardnesses will not allow any penetration. Without penetration, then there can never be this kind of harmony and this kind of, of, of happiness that can emerge in your life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. He's saying from your core outward, not this shallow happiness, not, not a, a happiness that's so elusive that it can just be like trying to hold water in your hands. No, no. This is, this is a happiness that has some endurance to it. And he's saying, I want you to have that kind of life. And he says the hard face of pride 
is one you must contend with. The Bible tells us to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. It more or less he put the power in your hand to do so. It is within your will and your choice. It's within my will and my choice to do so. To take it out of the realm of choices is just not accurate. You can choose it. The hard face of pride. The shallow face of pride is a little bit different. And then is that shallow ground. Inwardly, there's this, you're, you're very hard. It's like there's, there, underneath that is, is rock hard granite. It's just like, it's really, really tough stuff. But you got enough soil to hide it. You got enough soil to function. You've got enough soil to produce something of greenery. You've got enough soil to give a different impression about what might be down deep or, or, or underneath that it can't be seen because it shows greenery. The shallow face of pride, inwardly very hard, yet outwardly they are apparently the softest and most impressive person. They've developed the personality world. They've developed it to a degree that they can operate within that personality within five minutes. They've got you warmed up, maybe within 30 seconds. They've got you warmed up. There's nothing wrong with that kind of warmth, but if that's the depth of the person, how do you do life with that person? How do you do conflict healthy with that kind of person? Because they move away from those things because they've only got this much soil. And they don't want to go to the granite. We can have this in different areas of our life. Not even just total life. This could be certain areas. A lot of that is going to be like fear underneath. It's going to be obviously pride, the biggie. Shallow face of pride. A secret armor underneath. It's just like a, an armor just underneath the soil. And nothing can penetrate but it's enough to give perceptions. It's a deadly kind of pride. And it will keep you from harmony. Because, folks, sometimes we always think about conflict as conflict with, with others. One of the greatest conflicts, of course, there's conflict with God. That's the greatest. We have conflict with others. But the Bible talks about also a conflict within our own selves. We maintain these conflicting positions and we work at two different pictures and two different stories and two different presentations. That's the shallow face. Then comes the third face of pride, the inattentive face. The inattentive face. face. It's, a, it's a face that, that where with pride what we're doing is we only attend to the things or pay attention to the things that we want to. And we don't pay attention to the things that we don't want to. In the scriptures, we were, we were told that we should, we should be really focusing on others. The inattentive face doesn't want to do that. It chooses its attentions. It's not in an obedience stewardship. It's not embracing the kingdom and its values and its aims and its Lord full-heartedly. Now, I want you to notice that this soil was pretty good except for the weeds. 
If it can grow weeds, it can grow crop, and it was growing crop. The crop does come up, and then the crop gets choked out because of inattention. Now, if you're a gardener, you know that you know this thought. You're, you're weeding your garden, okay? How many have a garden? How many have ever been near a garden? How many have ever seen a garden? You're weeding your garden. And you start to pull, you start to pull the weeds. And as you pull the weeds, hi Henry back there, my fellow gardener. As you pull a weed, you look at the weeds and you say, well, that's good enough. I don't want to get right in there and get all those others that are down in there. You know, I'm, that's, that's good enough. It looks, looks fine. And then you come back two or three days later and you notice with the weeds that the weeds are now overtaking the plants. See, that's the nature of weeds. Weeds don't stay less than the plant. They wish to take over the plant, to choke it. And when we don't pay attention to the weeds, we don't pay attention to where our attitudes don't match up to humbleness, to harmony, to happiness. We wonder why we're not happy. You got the wrong things growing, choking the very life out of your own soul. The Bible talks about having a healthy soul. Isaiah says, come and delight yourself in fatness. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. And that, by the way, in the biblical sense, is a good thing. No bad cholesterol on that one. He says, I just want your soul to thrive. Because a, a thriving soul is a happy soul. And when we don't pay attention, it's more about liberality to ourselves. We treat ourselves with great liberality. You know, that's where it's easy to forgive ourselves for certain things, but it can be really hard to forgive somebody else for certain things. You remember the story Jesus told about the guy who owed this king like a million plus bucks? King calls him in. And the guy says, hey, the king says, sell him, sell his family, get what you can to get back some of this debt. And the guy pleads for mercy, gets mercy. Then he walks out of the palace and on the steps of the palace, he finds another guy that owes him just a few bucks and he grabs him, chokes him, throws him into family, into, into prison. This is not a good thing. The king hears about it, changes things up, deals with this. See, God has been liberal with you, but often we are not liberal to others. We, are, we express liberality to ourselves in forgiveness, in giving grace, in giving some slack. But we don't give that to others. That's the inattentive weeds. That's the inattentive faith. Ignoring the growth of weeds and the loss of life in their own souls. And when that's happening in our life, it's really hard for us to be happy. But finally, the humble heart. The humble heart. This one, there was only one out of, out of four soils that, that worked. There's only one out of these four soils that's going to work for the happiness of your marriage or of your family, of yourself, of, of, your, of the fatness of your soul, of, of your business and your teams of life, the people that you're collected to. And it's the humble heart. The ground was good. Not that it was good by nature, just its own nature, 
but it had been made good by grace. God's plow. The nutrients of grace are able to work in the humbleness, in the humble soil. Grace works. In the other, it doesn't because pride and grace do not work. They don't yoke together. That's why Jesus had such collisions with religious pride. He was trying to bring the plow into the heart. Let's take a look quickly at three consistent. Now, this is, you need to change that because it should be three consistent actions of the humble heart. Here's how you know if your heart is really acting in a humble way. They don't demand what, what they believe they deserve. Roles in marriage are really interesting because sometimes people come into roles in marriage with such strict, um, can we say, uh, borders around what they think their role is and what the other person's role is. And when the other person's not hitting that role the way that they think that role was supposed to be done, there's conflict. They become demanding because they really believe that they deserve better. Maybe you do deserve better, but don't be demanding about it. You say, what? Follow Jesus. Philippians 2.6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. Another version says to demand. We're in a world filled with demanding. I don't have to say much about that, I don't think. It's just ripe with demanding. Kids are being empowered to demand from parents. Society is demanding from your home. People are in a very self-centered core where demanding is just the normal trait. See, I demand this. But when you put that into trying to be happy, it don't work. It just doesn't work. When you are a person that is constantly focused on what you deserve and then demanding to get that, that doesn't work at all with being the servant in the kingdom of God to look after the other's soul and your own more than what you want in your flesh. They become servants, secondly, not just serve. They don't just serve, they become servants. You see, it says here about Jesus, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, other versions say servant, and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, I didn't put the rest in, but in that first part, he, he's emptying himself he takes on the form of a servant. He doesn't just come and serve. He becomes a servant. Jesus didn't just come to serve you. He came to be a, come a servant. He took his God nature and said, I will become a servant. If anybody deserved worship, 
Well, you know, hey, stop them from shouting to you, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, or he that comes in the name of the Lord. And, and Jesus said, even the rocks will cry out on that Palm Sunday. If these be quiet today, the rocks are going to start shouting. More or less, it was a moment where we got a window and a picture of God in the flesh coming in, people catching it, praising people resisting it and God making the statement if they stop on this day the very stones are going to cry out it's an interesting exchange and it's rooted in this idea he came to become just a servant that's it he became a servant he laid aside heaven the throne and he became like us Said he might die, live a life to the glory of God in perfection, perfection and holiness. And in his nature, never compromise it, though tempted of the enemy. Yet he would even go to the ultimate of giving his life. He had taken on the form of a servant. Third, people that have a humble heart. They pay the painful price of doing what is right. Philippians 2.8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Obedience is an outflow or can we say a great perfect expression of a humble heart. You know your kids have a humble heart when they obey you in a way with their full being. They don't just go serve and clean their room. They become a servant in cleaning their room. Now, I know that's rare. But there's a big difference. When you're willing to pay a price so that somebody else benefits ahead of you, when you're willing to actually put the interests of somebody else before you, you say, but you don't know what they do to me. You don't know what they are. You don't know. I think the question on is that, do you know what you are? Because humbleness begins with that knowledge. See, we are all sinners. We all stand in the very same ground. We all stand in the very same place. But in that place, God takes us and by his mercy transforms us into sons and daughters of his. Philippians 2, 9 and 11 talks about happiness. That's our last blank for you. Let's just talk finally about happiness. Therefore God highly honored him, meaning Jesus, because of him becoming a servant, because he was somebody that didn't demand what he deserved, but, and because he paid the price of doing what is right for others, for you, for me, because he lived out the kingdom in an upside-down way in a world that was completely opposite this. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven on earth and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me join that with James. Humble yourselves 
under the mighty hand of God or humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. One day, how you have lived, it may cost you to be humble today, but you will get happiness. It may, it may cost you quite a bit in your pride and, and, in, and in things that this world counts as the top of the list. But I will tell you that even if you are in poverty, it's better that you be in poverty and happy that's, and, and happy and be the kind of humble servant of God. That is better than being somebody rich who is troubled by many riches and troubled by many things. It's your soul. It's your soul. So Jesus, one day, every knee is going to bow. I mean, not some, every knee. (laughs) Stalin's knee is going to bow. Every atheist, their knee is going to bow. Everybody that's an agnostic, Their knee is going to bow. Hitler's knee is going to bow. Every knee will bow and acknowledge Jesus is Lord. It's his kingdom. Now as a believer, we stand in a moment of time Where Christian faith is not the most popular item on the block. It is unlike your parents or your grandparents' generation. You stand in a time when you're going to get challenged for faith like this and living upside down to this. You're going to be presented with a, with, with a fake kind of, of way to live and to love. But I want to challenge you most of all to understand That it is your humbleness of heart that makes you right with God and makes you right with man. And is that out of which all of the good things will grow because it presents that final soil in which the nutrients of grace can really be absorbed into the roots of your life and into the plant of your life and produce the fruit of your life. Because grace lives in humble soil. It doesn't live in other soil. It cannot live in soils of pride or inattentiveness or shallowness. His grace lives and brings nutrients to our life where we are humble. And when you're alive, you're happy. I mean really alive. I mean not just breathing. I mean from inside right through. Would you stand with me please? We're going to have a prayer quickly and then we're going to have a baptism to close off the service. Austin Lockheed is going to be baptized, so I'll ask them to ready that. And uh, so on. But I want to have a little bit of a commitment prayer here. Pride produces arguments, conflict. If we could just be honest, and that's what humbleness does. It allows us to be honest. It allows us to deal with the realities. It allows us to really grab what we need to. As much as you can grab it today, grab the desire to be humble before your God so that all of the good stuff 
can drive it through the roots, right through the plants, and produce the fruits of happiness. What's making you unhappy today? I guarantee it's going to come back to some kind of conflict, either inside you or with God or with others. You got arguments going on. Only one way to really deal with that. Humble yourself. That person you need to humble yourself to might not just be God. It might be the person that's next to you in the car or across the table or on the other end of a phone or on the desk beside you or on the counter beside you or in the office beside you. That's what he's asking you to do. What would Jesus do here? Fathers, we bow our heads. I pray that this message would be deposited to the core of our life and that it would result in something that would produce an amazing type of happiness because we are deciding to be humble so that we might have harmony, so that we might enjoy happiness. Father, we've let too much rob us. We've wilted our lives. We've let things choke out our lives. We've let things stay under the soil as armor that's resisting all the good. Or we've even kept on a hard face, Lord. And we've just let all that stuff bounce right off. But Jesus, this morning, I pray that decisions would be made to change the ground. So here in your heart, just before the Lord, just you and him. Touch the ground of those first three that you know needs to change the most right now. Just touch it and say, God, it's this ground. I recognize it. Forgive me for my pride expressed that way. I humble myself to acknowledge that I am wrong in my pride in that ground. Bring your plow into my life. Break up the hard. Weed my life. And Father, pour in the nutrients of grace again to my soul. Through the humble soil I give you this morning. Feed me. My soul needs it. I want to be happy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.